Hello, and welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, your host. I'm a photographer, art enthusiast, and collector here in Austin, Texas. My love for the podcasts I listen to on a weekly basis and my love for art and artists has inspired me to create my own. I've lived in Austin most of my life and have, through my photography, met and befriended many artists and gallery owners. A few years ago, I worked on a photo project that included photographing artists. Some of them I didn't know at all, so we got to know each other right before, during, and after the photo shoot. And very often I would be thinking, what a great conversation we were having, and I wish I was recording this. So when I decided to create a podcast, it just made sense to get out and interview those people and see what I could learn and share that with a broader audience. I love a great interview, so why not learn how to do it on the job? I'm sharing it with you, and we'll hopefully get some feedback and continue to make it better. Thanks to my good friend Stan Killian for the intro and outro music. The song is called Elvin Sight, and it comes from his wonderful album, Unified. And thanks to Jason and Lynn for their support to get this started and make it happen. This first episode is with Stephen Clark, who has been selling photography and photo-based art out of his gallery on West 6th Street in Baylor for almost 25 years. He has many amazing stories set in Austin, going all the way back to 1975. As you will hear, he has been friends with a very diverse group of interesting Austin people, and is representing some of the biggest names in the art world of the southern United States, and specifically Texas. Even if you don't listen to the whole interview, do yourself a favor and visit Stephen's Gallery at 1101 West 6th Street here in Austin. They're open Tuesday through Saturday, 11 a.m. to 4 p.m., and you can hear some of the stories for yourself. Stephen does mention a lot of names, so I've tried to include links in the show notes to as many of them as possible if you feel inclined to research who they are. And have a look at the blog at austinarttalk.com for a post with some of the iconic images that he mentions. So here is my interview with Stephen L. Clark. I guess if someone asks you who you are, what you do, what do you usually tell them? I'm a historian. Oh, uh, in, ma- in many ways, that's exactly what I am. Uh, I was a history major in college. I picked up a camera and went to Europe after being in the clothing business. And uh, I moved to Austin after that and opened the Waterloo Ice House and then the I- Avenue and uh, did a lot of live music and photographed a lot of people and met, you know, all the the people of their day in Austin, really. Yeah, and I think you've, I've heard some of your amazing stories. And so every day here in the gallery, I end up telling old Austin stories. And, you know, it, it has hit me. I mean, I've kind of known for a long time, but it's hit me that I am a historian, that I took pictures uh, so that I was essentially writing notes by taking pictures. Yeah. And that I collect stories and... We are here in a house of stories. You are sitting under J. Frank Doby's desk. Oh, wow. Oh, Henry lived upstairs. Bill Broyles had an office. Warren Scarron had an office. Yeah. And, uh, every, and you know, with Bill Whitliffe next door and all the things he's written uh, and collected, uh, that there's a story every day. Yeah. 
and cool. I get to hear the, the story from Bill, and then I have my own stories and uh, uh, tell them on a, a constant basis. So you started in art being a photographer, in a sense. I started in art uh, back when I was about 19 uh, in the clothing business in Houston, and having gone to New York for buying and seeing that uh, Paul Stewart, my favorite clothing store in New York, put contemporary paintings in their windows and mm-hmm. in their building. And so I started doing that in Houston, connected to DuBose Gallery. And uh, a few, a couple of my clients were actually painters. And so I started showing art in a clothing store. Wow. And then when I opened the Waterloo, uh, Helmut Barnett was living upstairs. Uh, we had uh, a few friends that were painters. Um, the wife of one of my photographer friends was a painter. And so we showed art on the walls. And then when we formed the Texas Photographic Society, we showed photographs on the walls. Mm-hmm. Almost opened a gallery upstairs and decided that people wouldn't have uh, walk that 27 steps upstairs to, to go to it. Uh, okay. Another gallery many years later on Congress Avenue found out I was correct about that. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I know what you're talking about. And uh, then uh, my first stockholder in the Waterloo was a guy named Johnny Edson from Beaumont, Texas. Mm-hmm. And he told me about a photographer friend of his named Keith Carter. And Johnny was the one that started me in live music, too. So he led me to essentially two careers. Wow. And so after uh, doing lots of live music at the Waterloo, at the Paramount Theater, uh, photographing most of uh, the musicians and other Austin characters. Uh, in fact, what, what happened in that time is the Waterloo was one of six live music venues. The Avenue was one of three fine restaurants. We had Lady Bird across the street, had the Capitol to the north, Texas Mutt to the south, and all the attorneys. Everybody walked in the door. What time period was this? Opened the Waterloo in 76, the Avenue in 79. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did concerts at the Paramount. Um, Did Uncle Walt's band uh, at the Paramount uh, right after uh, the restoration. Shake Russell and Dana Cooper band. Mm -hmm. Um... John Vandiver opening uh, for Uncle Waltz and uh, uh, another great player, David Rodriguez, uh, opening for Jake and Dana. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you're there photographing all and this. And I'm, you know, producing and, and photographing. Um, when we opened the Waterloo, because my best friend... Uh, Rick Williams was a photographer. I met all the photographers in Austin. And at the first uh, Aquafest parade in August of 76, uh, in the window I had Russell Lee and A.V. Bonar and uh, Jim Bonar and numbers of others. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gary Winogrand was, had taken Russell Lee's job after Russ retired at UT. Russ was the first photography teacher at UT okay. in the art department. Gary Winogrand uh, was his successor, um, and they were all hanging around. And uh, I had, when I left Houston and gone to Europe and started started photographing, as I told Elliot Erwood when I finally met him, I went over there and tried to walk in yours and Henri Cartier-Bresson's footsteps. Mm-hmm. And 
so it was a sort of a natural thing for me to be documenting all this life around me. So you were just self-taught, or did you study photography at all? Uh, I was self-taught originally, and then I took, uh, as I was trying to get the money for the Waterloo and it hadn't come in as yet, I went, well, I may as well go back to school. I'd gone to Southwestern in the 60s mm-hmm. and in Georgetown, and so I signed up for J.B. Colson's 325K uh, photojournalism class mm-hmm. and started that, and so I can count J.B. as a, as a teacher. Uh, and then halfway through, I got the money for the Waterloo. Tried to do both, but realized that it was not going to happen. Yeah, opening a restaurant. And so uh, I gave that up, but I, I never stopped uh, learning, you know, from friends and on my own. Um, and it was just, you know, very natural things like you know, playing guitar with a better guitar player. Yeah. Which I should have done you more. You surrounded yourself with some pretty high-profile yeah, uh, talented people. And uh, I first uh, knew of Bill Whitliff not as a screenwriter, uh, uh, but as a photographer, mm-hmm. because he was in one of the early Book of Days that Danny Schwears published here. Mm. And I uh, remember his photograph. It was one of his Vaquero photographs from his first project in Mexico in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. And so when I finally went, okay, you know, we... It had opened 38th Street Waterloo, closed downtown, opened 6th and Lamar, uh, done a lot more live music. And then I went, you know, I've done this long enough. And uh, I'm, so I sold, and Rick Williams said, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I, you know, I'll produce concerts at the Paramount and shoot family photographs and album covers. and I don't know. Yeah. He said, well, why don't you sell my work? I went, well, that's a good idea. And he said, and Avi, Avi Bonar. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was the first new person I met in Austin. And uh, so we gathered at the 38th Street Waterloo, made a list of photographers, including James Evans, who I did not know at the time. Mm-hmm. He'd already moved to West Texas. And then I came over to Bill's office, and I said, Bill, I've sold the restaurant. I'm planning to sell photographs. Am I crazy? He said, not only are you not crazy, I think you're the guy to do it. Oh, wow. And I said, would a little old screenwriter from Blanco, Texas, want me to sell this Bicaro work? He said, I'll go you one better. You can sell the Lonesome Dove work and raise money for the library. And at that point, it was just a Southwestern Writers Collection. And he said, if I were a photography collector, I'd be buying this guy from Beaumont. And I said, you mean Keith? He said, yeah. And I said, well, he's the biggest guy in the business, and I'm the new kid on the block. And a couple of weeks later, Bill said, well, have you got Keith yet? And I went, yeah. And he said, well, I want you to get Fireflies and the Waltz for me. I went, okay. And then he said, and after that, I can't buy anything from you. I went, well, why not? He said, well, Sally and I put some money in the bank, and we're going to do a major collection. If we have to pay your prices, we can't do it. But believe me, it'll be good for you. Mm -hmm. And so here we are 24 years later. Almost to the day, by the the way. And we have all these books on the shelf uh, through University of Texas Press. Dave Hamrick, now the director. Uh, Most of them from Bill's collection, not all. And uh, untold numbers of prints sold. Bill has Keith Carter's primary archive, Kate Brakey's primary archive. Mm. 
Gracieli Trebide, Mariani Yampolsky, and lots of others, and, wow. and now has gotten the Edward Curtis collection. Um, and all the ensuing things of the, the people that have walked through here. Yeah. I'm just wondering, when, when was the time when photography wasn't respected as art, and then when did it transition to where it was? Or did you always see it as art, or did, was it kind of like... I, I always did, but that? not necessarily putting that name on it, okay. you know. And there's always been that controversy, is it or is it not? And uh, I, in fact, when I decided to do this as a photography gallery, I never put that name on it. Mm. Uh, I did not want to have those bounds. Yeah. And as it turns out, uh, Kate Brakey is a photographer but she is really multimedia because yeah. she paints them she puts gold behind them she does so many other things uh, Jack spent now in the digital age Jack Spencer uh, but before that uh, Jack did a lot of surface work to his silver prints mm-hmm. uh, and now lucky for me I've got Lance Letcher and yeah. uh, who is a photographer also and actually in his collages there's a lot of photographic work you know, contained in it, but he's really a collage artist more than any other. Um, so it's it's all of of the same ilk. You know, Cartier Bresson was a painter too. Russell Lee was a painter, uh, though some say not so good. But I'd sure love to own one. So uh, they're all artists. But they're all artists. We can't get too specific about whether like the photography itself just a straight photograph a straight print of a photograph that's not manipulated is that art you know it can be and uh most of it isn't okay. <laughs> that you know that's the real truth most of it isn't but a lot of it is i'll use my father as an example okay uh, my father was uh, a young attorney you know back from world war ii um, bought a camera started taking family photographs and uh, taking photographs of wreck sites, you know, for his cases. And uh, I've inherited all his negatives and a few years ago started printing them. And, yeah, they're family photographs. But I look at some and go, well, this is pure art, you know, because it's transcendent. It transcends that it's my family. Yeah. And, in fact, one of the things that uh, Bill Whitliff made uh, a statement about Keith Carter's most famous photograph, Fireflies, mm-hmm. uh, for a, a Beaumont Museum uh, show. And he said, uh, that's Keith and his brother. That's you and your brother. That's me and my brother. Mm-hmm. And that's what great photography does. And I think some of my dad's photographs do the same thing. I've got photographs he took of, of my mother's father and all his brothers uh, wearing the same shirt and the same face. Oh, wow. Hmm. It's pure art. Just transcends documentation. It transcends it. Yeah. Uh, There's a photo. We we have uh, in the last couple of years renamed an elementary school here after Russell Lee. Um, And I've been installing a full collection of his work his work and, and photographs of him at Russell Lee Elementary School. There's, yeah. There will be a an opening this weekend. Uh, 
Oh, nice. And uh, for years at the 38th Street Waterloo uh, hung a photograph of Russ holding a bass. And it was taken by Conrad Fath, his best friend. Mm -hmm. And uh, for years, people would come through that line and go, is is that your grandfather? And no, that was a good friend. And uh, I went out and looked at it one time and went, my God, he's got the same hairline. He grayed in the same way that my grandfather father and all my grandfather's brothers did. And I never realized it. Hmm. Wow. And it hangs at Russell Lee Elementary, and it is art. That's cool. Um, I guess let's let's go back a little further even. I'm just wondering, as far as your childhood photography, art, I mean, when was the first time you really had like a sense of what art was or saw photography or well again uh a lot of things my dad didn't do right and uh, he gave me a lot of expensive tastes but he didn't leave me any money with which to pay for them oh, yeah uh, but he did some other things really right uh, by the time i was five years old i had a bookshelf uh sitting by my bed mm. and it had tom sawyer huckleberry Finn's Quanto, friend of the white man, Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. Uh, and he also had life drawing books. And my sketches in third grade were nudes, which uh, uh, okay. made my third grade teacher a little uneasy, yeah. I would say. Um, so my dad didn't have a knowledge of art, but he obviously had some interest. And so we had a, you know, uh, a dark room in the garage so I could smell the chemistry and uh, the drawing books inside and the literature and, uh, and music, not a lot of music, but we had Glenn Miller and Homer and Jethro and yeah. you know, others. Yeah. And so I somehow got a taste for all those things very young. And because your dad was interested in them, or he yeah, just thought you yeah. should be? No, because he had some level. Of, it wasn't a deep interest, but he had some, at least some level of interest. You know, we had, and in fact, I, I really use this as a measure, and have been reading about it a good bit lately. Is that uh, houses with books inside change the family? Mm-hmm. Houses without, boy. That's a hill to climb. Yeah. And so books have always been in my world. And it, books have stories and books have pictures. That kind of reminds me of my grandmother who grew up in an orphanage. I think that's the, one of the things that got her through that experience was all the books that were in the library. And she just read through them all over and over and over again. Yeah. It's the connector. I mean, it's a connector to history and to the outside world and the world across the pond and yeah. and all of that. And uh, then strangely, uh, because my sister honestly got none of this in the same house, hmm. three years younger. And uh, we originally lived in the Heights in Houston uh, and then to Timber Grove and then to Westbury. And uh, West, Westbury and Bel Air were close to each other. Um, it, it was a heavily Jewish community, mm-hmm. uh, particularly uh, Bel Air. 
And I had a lot of friends that had an interest in art. Hmm. And uh, to to the point that I, you know, I'd go to uh, Texas Art Supply to smell the stuff. Yeah. And uh, actually, out of that neighborhood was born the the Texas hippie community. Okay. If you look at Space City News and the Rag, and Esther's Follies, and lots of other things, uh, was born out of that. The the uh, drama teacher at Bel Air was he was very influential. Hmm. The Quaid brothers went there. Oh well. Yeah. And, uh, and then we had you know the Westheimer Arts District. Uh, so there was always you know something the. My my friend Rick uh, was on the yearbook staff at Bel Air, and the English teacher that uh, was ahead of that was very influential over him. He had a, got an abiding interest in literature before he picked up a camera. And he has a book first edition book collection uh, that is massive now, and uh, a lot of actors came out of all that. And so, you know, the the art in whatever form mm-hmm. was bubbling, you know, every day. And you were just in the right place. And I was in the right place. Now, you know, many of my old friends uh, from Westbury didn't catch any of it. You know, I, I did a 50th uh, junior high school reunion at my house a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I could see, you know, some did, some didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the lucky one that... For whatever reason, it it caught on. Yeah. Well, I'm just wondering now. I mean, I have some more selfish questions because I'm a photographer, okay. right? So I'm just wondering to you, um, what makes a good photographer, or what did you like about photography, or what do you see in photographers from the past or these days? How it's changed? Well, photojournalism was my first love. Uh, because those were the photographers that I was more attracted to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, later I discovered uh, Stieglitz and others, and, and Stieglitz uh, really kind of being the spiritual father of this gallery. Oh. Uh, I even chose these lights because they were the closest ones I could find to his galleries in New York. Oh, cool. Yeah. You know, and uh, so uh, that, the pictorial uh, era even though it's not what I sell, uh, certainly affected me. Hmm. And uh, Rocky Schink, who I represented for a long time, was certainly was a pictorialist. Uh, whatever anyone may say or he, he yeah. was. And so, you know, that part, but photojournalism is what brought me into it. And uh, there are many photographic styles that I like. Uh, then you get to the reality of the gallery. Mm-hmm. And those are, can be very separate things. Okay. You know, I've had somebody say, well, why don't you sell so-and-so's work? And I said, it won't sell in Austin. How do you know? Well, well, you know, 50 years of doing this. Yeah. You know, 24 professionally. Uh, and so there are uh, great photographs that aren't going to sell. Mm-hmm. And there are great photographs that sell on a regular basis. And boy, you know, sometimes it's very much like, uh, and I think it was Twain that said this, is that the difference between the right word and the wrong word is like the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. Okay. 
you know, and that's true of uh, two prints from the same negative five seconds apart bubbling up out of the developer and mm -hmm. fix. You know, one works, one doesn't. It's the same negative. Yeah. Uh, when it comes to the gallery itself, you know, that's a different thing. Uh, the, my brutal explanation to a lot of people that bring me work, and I go, it's not going to sell. Well, how do you know? Well, I just know. I said, here's the deal. If a well-to-do woman doesn't want it on the wall of her fine home, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Doesn't mean it's not valid. Yeah. It means it's not going to be in a gallery. Those are two separate things. You know, I've, I've seen thousands upon thousands of valid photographs that I couldn't sell, that I might really like, but it's, it's not going to appeal to someone else. There are others that, that do both. Um, Graciela Iturbide's uh, Mujel on Hair, you know, the woman with the boombox, mm -hmm. you know, I get a call on every month. Every month, it you know, it, it is a ubiquitous, transcendent image that everybody loves. Uh, is there something specific to Austin, or is it just the photography world in general? It, it, more specific to Austin, but uh, I've seen it, uh, it because I showed in New York for so long, and I know other galleries around the country and what they show and, and what sells and and what doesn't and uh, but you know we, we are decidedly uh, southwesterners here mm -hmm. and uh, you know starting with Keith Carter and and then getting Jack Spencer and Jack by the way was brought to me by Mickey Raphael Willie's harmonica player mm -hmm. who walked oh. in and said one day he saw what I had and he said you need Jack Spencer and I went well I've seen one picture Gussie's Magnolia sitting right over there mm -hmm. And uh, he's, I said, I'd love to talk to him. And a couple of weeks later, I walked in, and there was a white wooden box over there on that hearth. And I opened it up, and it, there was a note that said, Steve, Mickey said you should have these Jack. Never talked to him at that point. Hmm. That was 20 years ago right now. And I sold the first two photographs to Ann Tucker at the Houston Museum, Museum of Fine Arts Houston. Yeah. Uh, who Time Magazine called the foremost curator in America. Now, she was from Louisiana. It was Southern work. She had uh, a, a fund for Southern photography that the Glassell family put up. Mm -hmm. So all the things were in place. But she wouldn't have bought it if it wasn't really good. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it, both Jack and Keith were extremely hot at the time around the country. And I'd have people say, what is this thing about Southern photography? And I went, well, you know, it's just like uh, three or four students from NYU getting in a Volkswagen microbus and driving to Oxford to breathe Faulkner's air. Yeah. It just travels. Mm -hmm. It travels in music. It, it travels in the visual arts. There's something about it. Mm. You know, even with all the controversy and bad things about the area. Yeah. You know, you know, what has sprung forth artistically, you know, for a long, long time, uh, literarily, you know, playwrights, mm -hmm. uh, visual artists. There's just something that grabs you. Hmm. 
Is there a difference, though, I wonder, between the kind of work that you might think could sell in your gallery and the kind of work that a museum would buy? I mean, there's maybe two different Well, there can be, but I also say that when I – and I've only taken two new artists in the last 10 years, by the way. Yeah. If I'm interviewing somebody, I go, here's the deal. It's got to be museum collectible, Mm -hmm. and it's got to be publishable, or I can't do anything with it. Yeah. And and people go, well, that's pretty strict. I said, well, it's just the same things that would appeal to Bill Whitliff appeal to the buyer or to Ann Tucker – you know, and they don't all have the same tastes. Uh, Bill's is uh, a decided uh, southwestern and Mexican collection. You know, it is it has a particular bent. Uh, the Houston collection uh, is uh, a, a more worldwide collection. Uh, Eamon Carter has you know, their western bent, but it may be different than Whitliff's. Yeah, and they all have these things, but there are, there are certain things in common in an image that they're all going to like. Uh, and is there not just maybe in art in general kind of sometimes like an unexplainable universal kind of something? Oh, of course there is. Yeah. Of course there is. You know, you, it, it, in fact, uh, the last thing that I'm going to do to somebody is explain a photograph. Hmm. You know, I, if I did that, somebody might go, oh, my God, that reminds me of my ex-mother-in-law. I can't stand that. So I, I might guide them a little in that direction. But, you know, they've got to make up their own mind. Uh, Kate Brakey's white horse, every single person that's bought it said, I had a horse like that when I was a kid. Hmm. Well, they couldn't have all had a horse just like that. But somehow it hits their heart that they did. Yeah. And Keith's fireflies and uh, uh, certainly Gussie's magnolia uh, has done that. Uh hmm. You know the the buffalo is uh, Jack is such an American icon. Uh, his Yellowstone River uh, is the stuff of dreams. Yeah. And I mean, I've never shown it to anybody that wasn't just knocked out by it. And so this is a these are rare occurrences in a sense, and these people are rare people that are able to produce this type of work or i, mean, I think so because, because of the consistency mm-hmm. you know uh, i called i call whitliff a, a german workaholic because he hadn't needed to work in years and he worked so hard on his collection that he's essentially giving to the state of texas mm-hmm. and uh one time and it happened many times i'd get a box of, of cake breakies in and he'd go god can you believe all the work she does and coming from him that's a big statement yeah and the thing is the volume is huge and there are no rejects Mm -hmm. there are no rejects in kate's work there may be some that sell better but i it's hard to believe you know go through jack's book in this new this land book with the ford written by pulitzer prize winning john meacham Mm -hmm. published by ut press it is a heavy book. I can't reject a print in there. Mm-hmm. There, in fact, there are other things that Jack's done that could go in there. You know, Keith Carter's got what twelve books he's published. You know, these are people that don't just have that that single good image. They might have, you know, their particular image that is more well known than any other. Is it their best image? That's that's hard to say. 
Uh, but they do it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. They are not one-hit wonders. And there are people out there that do very fine things and don't do a lot of it. Uh, you know, one one of the, well, maybe in all my years, uh, I've had more comments uh, on a Kathy Spence photograph called Flying Lessons than any other. And Kathy hasn't done that much work. She started having children and kind of stopped. And uh, she's a Beaumont photographer, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but her Flying Lessons photograph stops everybody in their tracks. It's been sold out for years, and I get calls on it. And uh, I'm putting in a full art room in Odessa at a Ford dealership. Okay. And uh, the guy that owns it, Colin Sewell, uh, it, it's his favorite image, his Flying Lessons, because it, to him, uh, represents all the possibilities in life. Hmm. You know, she just nailed it. Wow. Uh, I mean, you talk about a transcendent image. Uh, so, uh, you know, some can do a whole lot and some can, you know, just have a few. But, you know, if they're as good as that, as yeah. far as I'm concerned, you know, they're they're on the team. I mean, how do you – I wonder how you think about selling art in general. I mean, I, I think about, like – other galleries here, the East Austin Studio Tour, West Austin Studio Tour, people are creating art, they're trying to sell their art. I mean, how do you how do you think about that market and do you have things that you think could be better or advice for those people? Like I mean, well, it seems like selling art is a very hard thing for anybody. It's a very hard thing. And uh, I'll have people go, "Well, what do you think I should do?" And I go, "No, you've got to do your own work." You know, and then you've got to be lucky enough that the public likes it at the at this particular time in history. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it it sits on the shelf, and then later on, go people go, man, that was great. Look after your dad. <laughs> and yeah, <laughs> uh, and and in fact, I I, I use you know, contact prints as uh, an example. Uh, you know, why did uh, why did somebody choose that one? as opposed to the one next to it. Yeah. And uh, I love, in fact, for uh, Keith's from Uncertain the Blue show, I put up contact prints on the wall, too. Yeah. So a lot of people had never seen one, so they could see. And you go, why did they choose that one? And I I call it uh, my B-side theory. Mm -hmm. Uh, You might have bought the record for Hound Dog, but in the long run, you might end up liking Don't Be Cruel better. Mm-hmm. And so the thing I don't like about digital photography is the ability to instantly edit. Mm. I don't know that anybody's good enough to edit that day. Yeah. <laughs> Times change. Mm. But I, I may be veering off your, your question a little bit, but uh, thinking of East and thinking of all the artists in town, uh, they've got to do what is closest to their heart. They've got to do it the best they possibly can. And in, in a photograph, it's the final print's got to be the best it, it possibly can. Mm-hmm. And then you've got to hope that it gets in front of the right eyes. And uh, a very difficult thing to do because the fact is most people aren't interested. Mm. And even among a lot that are interested, most are not going to buy 
And the downside to a lot of things like yeast is the number of people that do it just for the sport of it. Mm-hmm. That aren't going to ever buy anything, but they love to be involved. That's most people, I feel like. Yeah. And most people are that way. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But uh, the, only, the thing that's wrong with it is that sometimes it tricks people and they do all this effort and then they get really dejected because nobody bought it. I've been through that experience myself. You know, it's a hard thing. And uh, how do you not feel that sometimes? I mean, you're here, you're sitting here, you're paying your rent, and you've got your overhead, and you have all these people maybe counting on you, in a sense, to sell their work, and you're just sitting here hoping someone walks through the door? I mean, is that hard? Oh, listen, I, the thing I love most is sending a check to an artist because that they, they get so excited. And at every level, they get so excited. Mm-hmm. You know, Whitliff gets excited, mm-hmm. and because it 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 does give them a reward that's beyond the financial, uh, but it is a financial reward, and they go, "Okay, I'll do more new work." And I've seen artists that aren't selling that are good kind of stop doing good work. Mm. One thing I've always admired about Helmut is Helmut Barnett is yeah. whether he is. Selling or not selling, and he's done both. Uh, he goes to the studio every day and creates art. Yeah, he's very he prolific. Is, yeah. He is a real artist. Hmm. He does it because he needs to. He does it because he needs to. He is the real deal. And, and he's one of the best. Mm-hmm. He's the real deal. Uh, so, so maybe a lot of people just don't have what it takes, or they don't have the drive or the passion. It takes, it takes that... And it takes, uh, you know, being able to uh, rebound hmm. uh, after not being bought. Yeah. Um, or you do a whole series and it just flops and you just have to move on to the next thing. And so, so you do have to first do it for yourself. You know, yeah. it's got to be pleasing to you. And then you've got to hope that the public likes it. And then, you know, some people you know, get in a groove that does it all. Hmm. You know, they put it up on the wall, the public likes it, so they do more work like that. That's a trap, too. Pardon? That could be a trap, too. Uh, Not if you're good. I mean, if you keep (laughs) doing the same thing over and over again because it sells and and Uh, you're not pursuing kind of like the next creative level or some sort? Uh, well, here, yeah, the thing is, here's what happens. Or is that too if, idealistic? Well, it is pretty <laughs> idealistic, but, but here's the deal. You've got to be comfortable in your own skin. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the public is critical if you move too fast, and they're critical if you move too slow. Mm-hmm. So you can't be four steps ahead of them. You know, if you want to sell. Now, you can be what Keith Carter and others have done very well, and Jack, almost all my good guys have done, uh, Kate particularly, is they can be like a step ahead, and mm. they can pull their people along. But if they abandoned completely what people loved, they can get left on the sideline. Mm. Yeah. And and that's, that's one of the hardest things. And... Uh, and everybody I do well with has had that ability to uh, not disdain their older work, but keep doing new, fresh things. So they want to grow as an artist, but they're keeping in mind that they don't want to move too far too quickly and not 
kind I don't of know. bring their older work with yeah. them. I don't there. know that they're thinking about that, but <laughs> okay. if they if they <laughs> if they do it right, it works. Okay. Uh, and but again, it's a lot of it is confidence. You know, Lance Letcher has the confidence that since he's doing one-offs, uh, if something sells and somebody wants something about like that, he'll do it because he knows he's going to do it the best he possibly can. He's not going to, you know, pander to them, mm-hmm. but he's also going to try to stay in, in, in their world. Uh, but, you know, because they, you know, if they liked his work, why, why should he go, oh, no, that was terrible. Let me show you my new work. Uh, and you know that is that's really disdaining you know, your clientele, and and there's no reason to do it. Uh, no reason to do it. There's yeah. those with the the skill can do it many many times a little bit different. You know, a continuation of of that is uh, what some artists forget is that it's if they want to sell, and you know if you don't want to sell, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But if they want to sell, they've got to realize that it's got to be something that people want to live with every day. You know, when I sit in my dining room every morning to have breakfast, I look on the wall and see four Kate Brakey still lifes, Henri Cartier's Brossons, Rue Mouffetard, Bill Whitliffe Church at Rochester Tiles, James Evans' Dancing Feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Spencer's Yellowstone River, and my own photograph of Lyle Lovett singing to Walter and Heidi Hyatt on their wedding day. Hmm. Never one minute of any day of any year do I get tired of looking at that. Yeah, I love it. There's other things that I would like to have, but I'm not taking any of that down. You know, in, in my little house, uh, I have got so much work, and there are other things I like, and I go, where, where would I put it? There is nothing I can edit out of what I've got. Yeah. But that's because I bought everything with my heart. Mm. I'm sure you run into that a lot, too, where people might come in, maybe they don't collect art, and they're like, they feel like they can't, it's impenetrable in some way, or they can't understand, like, I don't understand art, I don't know anything about art. Like, what do you tell people? Well, I'll, I'll back up to uh, uh, Becky Cohen, uh, that was Becky Levy in uh, her past life, married to Mike, having a gallery downtown. And she'd say, you know, Steve, there's like there's an invisible line out front that a lot of people can't cross. I don't mean plumbers. I mean doctors. So there is that impenetrable art forest for some people. You know, they don't know what to think. They don't know if it's worth what the price says. There's all that. Uh but that's why I'm here. Mm. That's why I'm in this kind of building, uh, in a place where people can imagine it on their own wall. Mm. Yeah, It's not a warehouse. And that's why all these books are on the shelf for people to look through. And I'll let people sit in here all day long whether they buy anything or not. And look, and I'll talk about it, and I'll uh, go into the history of it. I'll tell them about the individual artist. Uh, yeah, I actually hadn't thought about that, but yeah, the difference between your gallery and some other galleries is that it is—it's like a house, and uh, it's not like a sterile kind of uh, presentation room where there's just the art and nothing else. I mean, it is very homey. Well, and in fact, uh, I always sell more when it's a mess. Uh, you know, I clean up for the shows, 
And then uh, a few weeks after the show's open, other things start migrating out. Now, right now, there's more out than normal because we're in a show changeover time and yeah. pickup time and shipping time and all that. Uh, but it's still uh, the two sterile at- atmosphere may work for some people. I'm sure that uh, some people leave here and go, that's kind of a messy place. And, well, they're not my client. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is about passion. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've had interior designers come in at Christmas when I've got things back four and five deep and, and g- rifle through them and come to the back thing and go, God, I love this. Why haven't you ever shown this to me? And I'm thinking, I showed it to you a year ago. But mm-hmm. what you just did is discovered a treasure on your own, you know, by, by digging in the cave yeah. and uncovering the diamond. Uh, so there's a lot. A lot of it is a, is about that discovery or how you look at it different than you looked at it before. When we had the very first uh, cake breaky gold piece in here at our 20th anniversary, it was hanging over by the wall with no light on it. And a collector from Houston uh, walked in and looked at it, turned around, and said, "What's this?" You know, it wasn't really well presented, but it just. You know, it glowed in the dark, and and he had kind of discovered it on his own, and mm. now that's that body of work is is sold to a ridiculous degree to people that know nothing about Kate, nothing about art. This kind of a phenomenon uh, with Kate's go work, and uh, what she has done is there's a lot of new photographs. There's a lot of things that are the same negatives she used for a big hand-colored work or other things. And she's taken those negatives and printed them digitally on glass and then hand-gold-leafed it from the back. Mm-hmm. Now, all of her work is influenced or born in, in the 1800s. And so it's not that it hasn't been done before, maybe in a different way. But a lot of these people have just never seen anything like this. Yeah. And so uh, the phenomenon is, it's one thing when we have a show and they go, well, we really love these. The phenomenon is people that will come in at Christmas time. It's not a Kate show. They just see a show up. They walk in the gallery. They walk over and go, just like the very first client did, what are these? And they pick out a favorite, uh, wrap it up. They get on an airplane and fly away. So it had nothing to do with knowing who Kate was or knowing who the gallery was mm-hmm. or anything about the history of photography. Yeah. It just resonated. And I, I, I do, going back a little bit, I do like the idea that you're talking about of letting people discover things. I mean, it's almost like if you're watching a movie, it's a difference between a really smart movie that kind of makes you figure it out or a movie that's completely narrated and they just give you the whole thing. Cause it's like, if you go into a gallery that it's all there and the, and the gallery saying, this is what it is. And this is all it is. Then you might feel like there's nothing to discover there. Exactly. Like yeah. And there is so much to discover in here. For one thing, we have so many things. Yeah. And we also, do it differently than most other galleries. This show has been up for six months. Hmm. Now, I don't do them all this long, but I try to give breathing room. Uh, I don't 
expect for my clients to drop everything they're doing to make my show. They've got busy lives. And uh, other galleries do short shows, and it works for them. That's fine. And it's since so much of it is photography, too, uh, even if something sells, uh, you, you can get another one in the edition. Mm-hmm. So that's a little different. Uh, but still, I think that for me, and everybody's got to do it their own way, I think giving it room to breathe mm-hmm. is, is the thing to do. Now, uh, I have fewer people on my list than a lot do. And so, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, I, I, I do have a responsibility to my artist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just am not going to have more than I can fulfill that responsibility to. Yeah. And that's a, that's a hard deal. I, I like to be ready if they've got... Uh, something special happening in their lives, I've got to be ready, ready to respond to it. And this year is the best example of all. I knew because we had the Jack Spencer book coming out that that would be my major show of the year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was laid out, and I knew I was going to do Keith Carter. Uh, and But I left, kind of left everything open. Well, what happens Sandra Adair does a crowdfunded film on Lance Letcher. We do a show with it. It premieres at South by Southwest, Secret Life of Lance Letcher. Uh, The show blows through the roof. Uh, And now he's going to be the featured artist at the new Central Library, Lake Flato Design. Yeah. And because I had room in the schedule, we're doing a second show. Well, if I had booked up my entire year, uh, and particularly mm-hmm. with going out and seeking uh, new artists, yeah, uh, I couldn't have fulfilled my responsibility to Lance by being going. Yeah, we can do a second show in the same year. Most people would go, "That's nuts!" They go uh, for Lance? Are you kidding me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's an, that's you know, in fact, I've had a, a number of other galleries in town. Well, when I got Lance, go, how'd you get Lance? Yeah. (laughs) Not conventional, I guess, in some ways. Well, it's just, you know, if if I had to dance to somebody else's tune, I'd be doing a different business. Yeah. I'm almost 71 years old, you know. Are you kidding me? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of my friends are retired. Uh, on a different note, I was just thinking about photography specifically, and a question that I kind of butt up against a lot is with digital photography and prints and editions. Like, I feel, I don't know, I kind of feel like making editions of digital photography that's just like a straight print seems a little arbitrary to me. Well, editions have always been arbitrary. Okay. Uh, I mean, a little less so if you're making each one by hand with a yeah, larger. It is an arbitrary thing. And why do people do it? Well, because it works. It also it uh, helps them, you know, by the time they've sold so many, they may be tired of doing it anyway. Yeah. Uh, I'm good with whatever anybody wants to do. You know, Bill Woodliffe has uh, never auditioned uh, any of his work. And a good thing, because Gus on the front porch is sold a lot of times and it's put a lot of money into his collection mm-hmm. and uh, others uh, have done it and it it works 
for them. Cartier-Bresson did an addition. Yeah. You know, you know, try to try to find uh, a Rumu Fatard for less than thirty-five thousand dollars. Ansel Adams did an addition. You know, try to find a yeah, Moon, Moonrise Hernandez for less than a hundred grand. Uh, <laughs> it's like an artificial scarcity in a way. It's is it supposed to spur the interest of a collector? I suppose. In uh, a way? You know, for uh, some people, will only buy limited editions. Okay. And you know, I'm good. It's however someone wants to do it is okay with me, as long as they do it the way they say. And. Um, you know, I'm very non-judgmental as as far as those things are concerned. But what do you think makes the most sense or works best? I mean, as far as whatever you like, whatever you like. <laughs> you know, some would say editions are anti-photographic. Hmm. Uh, you know, by the very nature. Now, you brought up. You know, d- digital photography has has changed the world considerably. Yeah. Uh, both good and bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a photographer walk in and at one time and said, well, you were right about digital. It was the perfect storm. The economy in digital has ruined a lot of photographers' business. Mm. And it has. Uh, no, There's no question about it. I know, uh, well, I will leave names unsaid. Okay. Uh, but I knew you know, photographers that were, you know, getting $2,500 day rates uh, shooting for companies here. And yeah. then the day rate went to two fifty, and then... Uh, they'd hand the, the digital camera to an employee and go, you do the pictures. Yeah. And so the, there's been that. And uh, now if, in the fine art, quote unquote, photography business, it's been a boon to me because I can get a very large print of that buffalo. Yeah. And it will hold up beautifully. Uh, and I can eat, we, we have done. Uh, six foot prints from Bill Whitless, thirty five millimeter negatives, and they hold up. You know, at, at the right viewing distance. Uh, so, uh, by being able to have larger things, it is more competed with the same space that would previously be held for a mm. big painting. Yeah. So from that from that standpoint, uh, it's been really good for me, and uh, there. The, in color, the work is far more archival mm-hmm. uh, than even Fuji Crystal Archive was. Uh, the color palette is much bigger. You can do it on watercolor paper, so it has a lot more surface interest. Mm-hmm. And uh, in in color, boy, it's been something. And Jack is the first one I know that that really uh, perfected it. Yeah, you know his Yellowstone River uh, just knocked me out of the park hmm. and uh, I sold one to a woman in New York who was uh, working for a gentleman that she and, and others that she collected uh, western art for and she said I don't mean what was in southwest art last week uh, I'm talking about you know vintage work and she said I just bought a beer stat uh, for that client and I thought well this is great and I bragged about it for a few years that she spent a few hundred thousand on a beer stat and bought Jack's Yellowstone River. And uh, when we were going to have it be the invitation piece uh, for our show, I went, well, I better find out if I'm standing on firm ground because I always know there's someone in the gallery that knows more than me. And I was wrong, but not in the direction I thought. The least expensive beer stat that year at auction was $4 million. The most expensive was $10 million. Wow. And uh, even in Jack's uh, forward that John Meacham did, uh, he invoked beer stat's name. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I guess that makes me think of uh, pricing work too. That's a kind of another challenge for artists. Uh, it's a very, it's a very, very hard thing, and you know, I, you know, having my beginning uh, in the the greater sales world, the world being with Keith Carter, uh, I pretty much used his pricing as a a standard back then. Uh, even to go well, uh, it, at the time when we started, Keith was starting at. Uh, 800 I guess in the very beginning and then a thousand and then you know 1250 uh, and I'd go well you, you can't charge more than Keith <laughs> you know so uh, uh. if I were you if you want to sell it you know they're sitting there looking at your print and his print uh, if you want to sell it you know price it at 500 or 600 and so I use that that comparative pricing as a way uh only because it was valid in here, only because it worked in here, not because it was necessarily valid in the greater art world. Yeah, but it's just it's some way to do it. You, you know, you can't get more than this. And I even gave that uh, advice to some pretty serious photographers. Mm-hmm. And and so you know, I kind of uh, look when we are doing something. And as I've told you, I haven't taken on them, uh, but one or t- two new photographers in the last 10 years. And uh, I still, I like I used Jack's uh, pricing as somewhat of a guide for one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and a lot of it's just that, re- you know, I'm in here, I know what somebody will pay. Yeah. And what they want. So uh, for someone that doesn't know, they might just try to orient themselves with more established work. Yeah. And kind of uh, I think figure out where they are in the hierarchy of figure out where they are, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know, is it as good? There's a start. Yeah, uh, and even if your name's not known, is it as good? Because you know, underpricing isn't a good idea either. No, uh, somebody will go, oh well, gosh, it might be very good. So it's a it's a sticky there's a lot of yeah there's a lot of psychology there yeah perception Uh, of value and but you know in fact when i first opened uh i had a guy a photographer in town uh saying well you know you really need to have some things that you know 150 or 200 bucks and i go i can't keep these doors open yeah you know it's not a grocery store i'm not gonna have the thousand customers today or even even 10 customers today mm-hmm. and so do i want to be in the business uh do you want me to sell photographs at all there's there's a certain reality uh to the marketplace and uh, I, I tell people and i mean i i have people's eyes glaze over i go if i don't send an artist a check on the 20th how do they make a house payment on the first Mm-hmm. And they look at me, and they they think that artists aren't living in the same world, and they all are. And I was that same way with music. Mm-hmm. You know, they've all got the same. You know, do they want to own a house, or do you think artists just shouldn't? You know that. And I'm with with people that I know well enough. I can get pretty, yeah, pretty sticky on that. What What do you mean? You don't think they deserve to live on your street? Do they have to inherit money to do that? Mm-hmm. What? 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 I mean, come on. You know, treat them legitimately. We need them. 
Yeah, just because maybe someone sells a photograph for $5,000 doesn't mean they're rolling in dough or something. Oh, no. I, I mean, mean, what it... Oh, my gosh. I mean, it seems like a lot for someone. It's like, wow, like someone paid you that much for a yeah. photograph? But oh, you know, what Jack spends on production uh, would wilt most people hmm. because, you know, he's always go- gone for the better printer and the better paper, and he keeps me well supplied. He invests a lot in his career. They all do. That's I a mean, big risk, too. Yeah, it's a big risk. Time alone, uh, you know, what do you charge, you know, per hour, you know, as, as an attorney? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. Uh, I certainly know artists that could have gone to law school. I know artists that went to law school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Let's be fair about it. So what do you think um, the future of fine art photography or selling art or Austin in general? What do you what do you see in the future? Is there anything uh, you're excited about? There's things that you're worried about? Oh, I've, I've been worried about it you know, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Tell me it, about that. It, well, the worry comes from uh, I'll, I'll have uh, particularly young art consultants coming in. Well, there's a whole lot of new art buyers, you know, they're coming to town, you know, and they're young and, and I go, yeah, really? When are they going to start buying? Mm-hmm. What? You know, well, they're going, they're, you know, they're going to the, the openings in East Austin. Most of them aren't buying. Some of them are. But they are the key to the future. Luckily, I have mm-hmm. a number of young clients. And, uh, but that's it. I mean, youth, I mean, I, uh, my friends in their 70s aren't acquiring more. They're deaccessioning. Yeah. To their kids or having me resell. They're moving out of bigger houses to smaller houses. And, and so do their kids even want it. Uh, mm-hmm. If their kids even want it. Luckily, my kids do. They, they grew up around all this stuff, so yeah. they, they love they the stuff it. that yeah. I have, and they appreciate it. And they know the artist, so it means a lot to them. Uh, but I, I do have a lot of young professionals coming in now that get it. So that's the, the, the key to the future is mm. uh, the young buyer. And uh, one of the things that's always been true is that uh, people buy when they have a need. Mm. And uh, it, very often it's not for the starter house. It's for that second, more serious house. Mm-hmm. And they go, okay, we got the more serious house. We're doing pretty well. Uh, granddad died, left me some money. Uh, mm. I went over to Reed Whitliff's house. I sure liked what he has. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want that too. And so there are uh, among the younger people, and you know, younger—that's a pretty broad, yeah, <laughs> broad range. As I find out how, how old some of them are now, yeah. my kids are in their upper thirties. Some yeah. some of these kids are in their fifties. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I could have children in my fifties. I don't. Sure. Uh, but you know, they they are getting uh, to the more serious stage in their life, and. Uh, they want things for their home, mm-hmm. and that's when they buy. More often than not, when they when they have a need, uh, and not just for sport. Yeah, there are your sport buyers, but uh, you can't count on that to happen. Uh, they they want good work, and uh, you know for a long time, and really still still the the same is true. You know, a Kate Brakey still life. It it. $6,000, let's say. Mm-hmm. You would have to find a vintage 
painting for hundreds of thousands of dollars to find anything as good. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're that good. So you can have something on your wall that's absolutely fantastic. And yeah, that's not peanuts, but it's not 200000 <laughs> Yeah, so it's quite a deal. <laughs> so really. it can be done. And it's not going to lose value either. Uh, it's Probably. not good, but the biggest value is living with it. You know, the biggest value is living the with it. The joy of being around it, looking at it every day, not Absolutely. getting tired of it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, you know, I, uh, my little formula for life isn't the right thing for everybody, but I got up every day and I sit in my house and look at my art and listen to music very often by somebody that I know uh, or interested in. And so. You know, I just bathe myself in art and music every single day and literature. Hmm. And everybody can do it. Not everybody's interested in it, but it's out there to be done. And I, you know, I just suggest it. It's just a great way to live. And I use, uh, I have a little 1927 bungalow Mm -hmm. in this neighborhood. And I use it as a perfect example. It's about 1,200 square feet in the front house. And in my library, I've got the front and back of Keith Carter's 25 Years book side by side. I've got Kate Brakey. Uh, I've got photographs that I made of authors mm-hmm. uh, sitting around their books. I've got uh, Kate's great big Harvest Moon and uh, Whitliff's uh, Gus and pictures of a lot of uh, friends outdoorsman, hmm. uh, artist, uh, rogues gallery. I mean, just kind of everywhere I look. But, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm an art junkie. Not everybody's that way. But uh, everybody has things in their life like that that would apply. And it's just, it's a joy to look at them every day. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe most people aren't as uh, <laughs> terminally, <Sentimental>. <laughs> terminally <laughs> romantic as uh, I am. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a great way to live. I can relate. That's, that's you know, the way that I am. It's just so too. much fun. And to, you know, to be so lucky to know all these people, mm. to have known Jack and Pat Hemingway mm-hmm. and, and John Graves and Russell Lee and Bill Whitliff and Steve Harrigan and uh, all these guys. Uh, mm. Bud Shrake, my God. Uh, wow. You know, it's, it's, a, it's just a different world. So kind of in thinking in that vein, like what what would be your advice for anyone just in their life to kind of make their life more romantic or sentimental like that, like yours? Uh, I, I, you know, I have a lot of things that might go on my tombstone if I were to have one. Yeah. <laughs> if, yeah. And uh, one of them, and I... I I write this to a lot of people when I'm writing my fountain pen letters is shine on, mm-hmm. which is from a Walter Hyatt song, mm-hmm. you know, keep on working and shine on. Mm. And, uh, another thing I write is, uh, from buddy Holly, not fade away, mm. not fade away. Wow. Cool. And, uh, not without passion. Yeah. You know, just don't do it, not without passion, and 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 you know, not everybody's got, you know, got that in them somehow. You know, I I inherited it somewhere, mm. and 
I'm uh, emotional about so many things, but I've, you know, I've had all these special things in my life, you know, who, you know, how would I have known that these things were going to happen? My first day in Austin, I went down to the drag and walked in university booksellers. This was 1975, and they were playing this music. And I said, who's this? And they said, uh, well, it's Uncle Walt's band. It was Champ Hood singing High Hill. Mm-hmm. And I walked down to Whole Earth, and they were playing Towns Van Zandt. Well, I didn't know then that Champ Hood and David Ball were going to sing at my wedding or I was even going to get married because I hadn't met Gwen as yet. You know, uh, I was at Dick Clark's uh, memorial service at the Paramount last Sunday, and they do a film on uh, on him, and uh, Fritz Steiner uh, was the MC, ex-dean of architecture at UT, mm-hmm. and he said, uh, well, there's going to be a little bit of music after. And... Uh, when they finished, the curtains parted, and I see in the dim light, Trigger. And Willie walks out. Oh, wow. And sings Angels Flying Too Low to the Ground, you know. Wow. The same, the same song that he sang at Bud Shrake's funeral. Wow. You know, how can, how can that be? Mm. Whose harmonica player brought me Jack Spencer. Mm. Come on, you know. Uh, and Bud, in fact, Bud's son, Ben, was uh, at Dick Clark's deal. Uh, Bud inter- introduced me to Dennis Hopper, mm-hmm. to Buck Henry, who wrote The Graduate. Mm-hmm. It's a rich history. It, is, sure. it goes on and on and on. When I did the a little book uh, that Dave Hamrick suggested, uh, Leaving John Graves' Funeral, uh, where uh, Bill Broyles got up and uh, he was one of the speakers that said when I became the fledgling uh, the uh, editor of this fledgling magazine I wrote a list of 10 things I wanted to have happen and number one was to get John to write for the magazine and I did mm-hmm. and as we were coming back Hamrick said you really need to do a book for your 20th anniversary and I said well Dave you know it's that's in three months uh, it's pretty tight and he said well I'll lend you a designer from the press or go see DJ mm-hmm. so I went to DJ Stout and I you know, telling him what I want. He said, no, I want to do it. And so I turned in my uh, stories in fountain pen and the, the photographs, and uh, I was going to do it, call it 20th anniversary book, and he said, you need a real title. And that, you know, for book search and all, and I walked back in my clubhouse, where you know, sit down at my writing desk, and I was going to pick up a Tesaros or get out, you know, a novel and thumb through it. Yeah. I didn't have to do any of it. It just popped into my head. Confluences, mm. which is a rivering term, but it aptly describes my entire life, mm. and and certainly the current one because it's up to such a crescendo, uh, and it just never stops. Yeah, and and some of it is geographically. I could have opened uh, a hamburger joint on some other street, and Lyle Levitt wouldn't have walked in and wanted to play for the door you know yeah uh i could have opened a gallery many other places uh but to have it in bill whitliff's building mm-hmm. uh, means that i got to walk next door and see sam shepherd wow you know and that bobby duvall and luciana and don and tommy lee jones come in and on and on and on and on and on and on very cool well thank you so much for sharing some of your life with me and your stories. I really well, it's pretty, it. And your and, passion. And uh, this Tuesday, pardon me, this Thursday, uh, 
Russell Lee Elementary uh, will have a grand opening of their photographic collection that uh, I put there or was instrumental in putting there. And uh, it's part of that continuity. There are a lot of elementary school kids that are going to see world-class photography every day when they go to school. Mm. Very cool. Well, thanks for doing that. Thanks for listening if you made it this far, and please feel free to share any feedback you might have by going to the contact page at austinarttalk.com. If you have any suggestions for guests or subjects you would like covered or addressed, please let me know. Coming up, we have a great interview with Troy Campa of Kambiba Art. All the best to you and take care. Thank you.